Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on email Friday, March the 10th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we have two emails we'd like to take a look at today. Uh, The first one is about demonic possession. I agree with some of it. I disagree with some of it. So let's take a look at it. It's an email that begins this way. Recently, my wife and I were the victims of a demonic attack. Yes, a real live demon attack. And even though the Bible is full of proof regarding demonic attacks, most people say they follow scripture, but they are oblivious of the reality that demonic attacks exist. Churches very rarely teach the truth about demonic attacks, and those who do tend to teach it only as a spiritual matter, not a physical one. But that teaching is incomplete, therefore inaccurate. Without the truth being taught about demonic attacks, Most professing Bible believers don't have a clue that demonic attacks are real and how to spot them. That means most spend time looking at each other as a problem instead of the demons behind the scene causing the problem in some cases or making the problem worse than others. There are signs and indicators But if people don't even believe demonic attacks are true, why would those people bother to study, recognize, expose, and prepare for demonic attacks? They wouldn't. No, I am not blaming demons for all that adults do. But they are real, and they regularly interfere in the lives of human beings, whether they are seen or not detected or not, exposed or not. They feed on negative emotions and pour gasoline on the fire of such emotions to make them and the outcome worse than it would have been. Is it any wonder that some violent crimes, the perpetrator blacks out and does not remember what happened? Thus, anger, jealousy, hate, unforgiveness, and depression create a climate that attracts and empowers demons, while those experiencing these emotions are distracted so that they won't notice they are under attack. This email continues, the most dangerous enemy is the one that is undetected. The good news is that does not mean that such an enemy is undetectable. Yet it has been said that the biggest trick the devil ever pulled is to convince people that he does not exist. So, while many of you are blaming the other person, sometimes rightfully so, you need to recognize there is more going on than your eyes can see and more than you are likely paying attention to. In the late 1980s, the demon murder case, a movie, 
was the first known case in modern American history where the actual legal court defense for a boy who stabbed someone was that he was under demonic control. I, I don't suppose and suggest that you watch the movie depicting the event because some movies are so evil that they actually attract the attention of demonic spirits. I will not post a link, yet you can research the case. I'm not about to do all your homework and research for you, but this email I'm writing is a red alert that you should get started. Psychology wants to say demonic attacks are all imagined or hallucinations, but that is just not true. Psychology based on Freud needed counseling himself. He had a problem with God. A lost man who set schools of thought in place that to this day have made millions of people ignore the truth, confused, deceived, and sometimes on medication while they're believing they are imagining things. But try and tell that to people who have been attacked victims who have physical claw-type scars to prove it. Hallucinations don't scratch people, cause people to go into a rage far outside their personalities and even kill, move things around the room, cast shadows. To believe a hallucination can do these things is to live in denial. And just like Darwin, Many of Freud's points either remain theories taught and accepted as if they were truth or have been debunked. Demonic influence, whether attack, oppression, or possession, leaves a trail of evidence if you know how to spot the trail. Attacks are gradual but progressive, and they happen to someone every single day. Both in the physical and spiritual realms. Don't believe me, do your own research. But I can tell you this, once you are attacked and recognize the attack, you will never say such demonic attacks do not exist. Now, that's most of the email. And number one, I do agree that it's possible that there are demonic possessions even today. I have said, though, that Christians are not demonically possessed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So I find it interesting that this email does not give concrete evidence for the demonic attack that happened to this couple. They say they had it. They do mention about having claw-type scars to prove it and that these are not uh, hallucinations, but they don't really give any evidence to it. So I want to agree with them that it is quite possible that demons can possess a person even today, but I disagree with them as to this is what happens 
all the time when someone goes off center. What I mean by that is where they are tempted and they fall into that temptation. That is not necessarily that they are demon-possessed. Yet it is Satan who led them into the temptation. And it is a lack of faith in God that leads them to be tempted. In other words, there are denominations that do have pastors who are trained in figuring out demonic possession. There is a whole category of that in the Roman Catholic Church. And what Roman Catholic priests do when they confront someone who others say is demonic possessed, they can do various things to figure out if it really is a demon or just if they have fallen into a temptation by satanic influences. There, there is a, a difference. We do have Lutherans, I've read about, even in England, who do deal with demonic possession. And yet, I don't know too many in the United States that do that. Uh, we talked about it at the seminary, but there was no particular course that helped a seminarian learn how to excise a demon. I do believe that it can happen. Uh, there's no doubt that some people appear to be so evil. If you go to YouTube, you can just type in evil people and you'll end up with all kinds of individuals who have committed terrible and horrible crimes that appear to be for no reason at all. But you need to remember that such criminality can occur in a normal person. What's my evidence for that? Well, if you take a look at Nazi Germany, many of the soldiers who were Nazis and who were putting people to death in gas ovens or just shooting them or experimenting on them, they had been normal people but had been trained by Hitler, sometimes from their youth, to hate certain people like Jews, homosexuals, even Christians. And so therefore, they had no problem doing these things. It appears that their personalities were changed, but not because they were demon-possessed, but because they learned to hate people to such a level that they had, well, no problem in torturing them, putting them to death, etc. You can't say that all these Nazi soldiers were demon-possessed, but they were demon-tempted. For example, the best example I can give you in the Bible is the very first example of Adam and Eve falling into sin. We would not have considered them in the Bible to be demon-possessed. 
but they were certainly demon tempted by the devil himself as a serpent in the wilderness. So we need to make that distinction, which leads us to the second email that I received where that distinction is not clearly made. It's uh, declared that Christianity or religion does not stop demonic attacks. It goes like this. Recently, my wife and I, it says, were the victims of a demonic attack. And the title of this email is Religion Will Not Save Your Marriage. It begins, last year I was invited to a conference about faith and marriage. I declined the invitation and instead spent the weekend at home eating chips on the couch with my husband. It's not that I wasn't interested. It's just that I wanted to work on my marriage on the couch. And then she goes on how religion tears families apart. This is a story, an email by Liz Lentz, L-E-N-Z. The couples I know who did go to the conference reported how great it was through the conference. They said they learned that faith made their marriage stronger. I was not convinced. I felt like chips at the couch had done the same thing for my relationship, that $200 and a lecture on faith had done for my friends. It's not that I deny the power of faith. Faith is an incredibly important part of my life, but I know that faith is no panacea for any relationship. Now, here's where I really disagree with this email, that this person is saying, doesn't really matter how much faith you have, how much religion you have, it is not what will work in a marriage. What's her proof for that? She continues writing. According to a study conducted by the Barna Research Group, and that's a study where people are asked questions, and I often will use it because it gives an inkling as to how Christians think. This study well, they dealt with couples who profess their faith in God, and they concluded they are just as likely to divorce as any other couple. And of this segment, born-again Christians have the highest rates of divorce. Shocking? The email writer says, not for me. Now, let's analyze that statement, that born-again Christians have the highest rates of divorce. She's making a distinction between regular Christians and born-again Christians. Where does that come from? 
Well, I, I believe that every Christian is a born-again Christian. You, you don't make that distinction. Jesus did not when he was talking to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. Remember Nicodemus? Am I to get back in my mother's womb? No, you are born again by the Holy Spirit. That's really important. In other words, every Christian is born again. It happened to Adam and Eve because when they sinned, they died. Their death was not a physical death, but a spiritual death. They no longer wanted to be around God. And they tried to hide from God as though you could hide from the omnipresent God. Impossible. But we would not say that religion failed them. They failed religion. In other words, the promises of God were there. They were having a wonderful life in the Garden of Eden. But they listened to the temptations of Satan. And they followed the flesh. And they went and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had specifically said not to eat of. They realized that they had sinned and hid from God. God then came and gave a promise that through the seed of Eve would come a Savior. So, this email goes on. I grew up a born-again Christian. What does she mean by born again? Born again is used in religion today to refer to people who make their own decision to be born again. In other words, they think that they can decide to become a Christian. And we've talked a lot about this, that unbelievers cannot make a will to become a Christian. But when they fall into a church that teaches that, they're obviously in a church that does not believe the Bible in all things. Such churches that have these born-again Christians that made a decision to invite Christ into their heart also do not believe in infant baptism. They do not have the assurance of the Lord's Supper being the body and blood of Christ. And therefore, many of the Bible passages are taken out of context, like the devil did to Adam and Eve. No wonder there's a high rate of divorce, because they are members of a congregation where the pastor is not teaching properly the word of God. It's not that religion failed. It's that they as believers have failed to understand God's word properly because they think they made the decision. She says, I grew up a born-again Christian, lived most of my life in Texas, surrounded by people who thought that the Branch Davidians had a good idea. I remember that's the group that would even take weapons, ammunitions, 
and shoot against the federal government. Many of them died in the fire. And yet, despite the harsh words against divorce that I had heard from the grown-ups around me at home and from the pulpit, divorce still permeated our lives. A member of our church, whom my sister babysat for, was caught having an affair with the pastor. And while the pastor finally did reconcile with his wife, the church member and her husband divorced. My high school youth pastor was caught in an affair with a student, and his wife promptly divorced him. This summer, when my father separated from my mother, he was chastised on his Facebook wall by members of their church who also had divorced and remarried some more than once. The email says, I'm not telling these sordid tales to highlight the hypocrisy of faith, but rather because I believe that whether we believe in God or no God, all our relationships are created equal and they take work. This is where I disagree with her. Because whether you believe in God or no God makes a huge difference if your relationship is going to work. Yesterday, you'll recall, we talked about an article with our, our good friend about why it's better to marry an atheist. Because this is an atheist who is writing. He married a woman who became a Christian, and it caused all kinds of problems in their life because she was against sin and he was not. And so he said, it's better to raise an atheist so that way you can sin in many ways. You see, she believed in God. He did not believe in God. And that did cause the relationships not to work. Now, this email writer thinks it helps to share core values, which are often attributed to faith, but those aren't the only things that make a marriage solid. What does? She says, communication, hard work, learning to laugh, knowing when to walk away, knowing when to pick up his socks, knowing when to pick them up yourself. All these things are just as important to a relationship between you with God. That's what I find ridiculous. This email really is trying to make the belief in God unnecessary in a proper relationship. She says, through our faith, my husband and I have gotten the chance to volunteer with nonprofits, gave us new hobbies, experiences, and shared interests that have brought us closer together as a couple. Well, here she contradicts the rest of her email because she says that it is through faith. Now, she's correct. 
that the things that made the marriage solid were learning to do hard work together, etc. But that was because of a faith relationship they both had with Jesus Christ. She says, we don't see church, God, or prayer as a band-aid for our problems. When I feel hurt and hide the cookies from him, there is no praying through that. Sometimes you just need to sit down and fight it out or struggle on the couch with chips and Netflix. This is a sad email because she doesn't realize that the communication that she had with her husband with chips watching Netflix together, working together, communicating, was actually because of the faith of the Holy Spirit within her. And therefore to say we don't need church, God, or prayer to help us in our problems is dead wrong. There's no doubt that many people who divorce their spouse does not mean that they are Satan infested, but they are definitely Satan tempted. And you can tell that because if you ask them after the divorce or separation as to whether they think they're still a believer, they will say some nonsense. Well, yes, I'm a believer. Even though they are unrepentant in their sin, even though they may not be attending church, even though they are very embarrassed for others to hear that they are no longer married, even though they will blame the spouse for the marriage. No, it is God that makes the difference and reading the Bible. So I encourage you, when you have a problem, just open the book up at Psalms and you'll find God talking to you and comforting you. That's a comfort you'll continue to hear on Monday when we do a Bible passage on law and gospel. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.